Hey there, friends. Welcome back to the third season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, go ahead and click that subscribe button. We hope that you'll check us out also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok and find out more about content. Of course, we encourage you to also check out the website at rayreynoldsrap.com. We hope you enjoy today's program. We are back again for another episode of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. I'm so glad you tuned in uh, to this particular episode. If you're listening, you've probably listened to the first part of a presentation that was given at the Niceville Church of Christ. Uh, If you have not heard the first part, just uh, go back, scroll back, and you'll see the first part of this particular episode series, a two-parter on the Holy Spirit. I also want to mention that the notes for this particular podcast will be up for a few weeks uh, on the Ray Reynolds Rap Bible School or Bible Class Books page. Uh, it is on our website at rayreynoldsrap.com, and you can download the notes or at least look through them through the presentation or the video along with this presentation is available at the Niceville Church of Christ Facebook and YouTube page. I hope you enjoy it. Continue with me in verse 14. Another thought here why God is, the Spirit is awesome, is He is awesome because of adoption. This is huge. Listen to verse 14 through 17. For as many of us as led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Who's the sons of God? Those led by the Spirit of God. Are you led by the Spirit of God? You have to be, or otherwise you're not a son. I don't have the Spirit of God, Brother Ray. I don't have the Spirit of God. Well, that's a problem because you can't be a child of God unless you have the Spirit of God. Keep reading. He says, For if you, uh, let me back up. For as many as led by the Son of God. For you did not, verse 15, receive the Spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you received the Spirit, capital S in my Bible, must be in yours, the Spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Now the Spirit Himself bears witness With our spirit. Two spirits in me? Yeah, your physical uh, identity and the spirit of God that dwells in you. And you can choose whether you want to quench that fire or if you want to ignite that fire by bearing the fruit he has called you to bear. It says, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. What does that say, Paul? If you have the spirit, you're a child of God. What's the benefit of being a child of God? Well, if you're, in the child, if you're a child of God and you're in the Spirit, you're also an heir. I don't have the Spirit of God. Then you're not an heir to the kingdom. The inheritance you have received is because not of your death, anybody can die, the resurrection which takes place by the Spirit. Keep reading. It says, and join heirs with Christ. One day we're going to reign on high. Join heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with Him that we may also be glorified together. That adoption, see the, the power of the Holy Spirit controls whether or not I am a child. And there will be times in our lives when the Spirit of God is weakened, not because He's powerless, but because I have chosen to put other things into my temple, into my mind, into my heart. And the more that I dwell on fleshly things, the Spirit slowly diminishes. Begin to look at uh, Revelation. And he talks about, he says to the church, you know, look, you have very little fire left. The candlestick is burning out. The warning John gives through Jesus, it's in red in my Bible, tells me Jesus spoke it. Jesus tells them he's going to remove the fire. What's that fire, Brother Ray? What is that fire that dwells inside of a believer? Paul is saying it is the Spirit of God. 
And without the Spirit of God dwelling in you, you don't have any adoption papers. You cannot claim to be a son of God unless His Spirit... Can't you see how the Spirit's awesome? He's awesome. He provides the adoption you need to declare you're a child of God. It's many times we see people change their name. They change their name and have to go get a, have to get a new social security card, new driver's license. And you need, but you need to have a marriage license, right? Or an adoption paper. Well, the Spirit is our seal. The Spirit is the adoption papers, the proof that we are a child of God. John will say by this, we know that we abide in Him and He in us, that He has given us His Spirit. I don't have the Spirit. Well, if you haven't been given the Spirit, we need to talk about baptism. And we need to talk about what happens in baptism and the resurrection of the Spirit of God. Same thing, not just 1 John 3.24, but he says it in chapter 4.13. He says it in uh, chapter 5 and verse 6, that by the water and the blood. It's interesting too, Jesus told Nicodemus the same thing. One heir of the kingdom of God, be born of water and what? Spirit. Born of water and spirit. So it's no, no coincidence that when Peter is given the keys to the kingdom in Acts chapter 2, men and brethren, what have we got to do to be saved? You'll be baptized, water, and you'll be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. There it is. The combination of the two that's mentioned in John 3, 3 and John 3, 5 by Jesus and Nicodemus is the same thing Peter preaches on Pentecost. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the mission of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There it is. It's as clear as day. And so that Spirit allows us to be a child. And then notice he says this. You have, because you're adopted, because you're in the family of God, because you're a child of God, have the ability to call Him Father. Now, this is a tough one. This is a tough one. We're going to wade into some difficult territory. You might want to put your boots on. People will say, you know what? I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray with me. As a child of God, as a Christian, as a baptized believer in Christ Jesus and filled with the Spirit of God, you have a power in you that's greater than any in the world. And you know what that is? The ability to call God your Heavenly Father. God's prayers are attuned to who? The righteous, it's taught in Proverbs. Peter says it several times. That God's ear is... It doesn't mean He doesn't hear. The, he hears all prayer. He, he's not like He's got a deaf ear. God hears all things. But our prayers are specially attuned to His ear. The same difference why if you're in a room... But your kid's playing, and you hear a cry, you know your kid's cry. You know his cry. Hollers out from the playground, or they call you on the phone. You say, well, I recognize the voice. Well, Jesus says, they're my sheep. They'll know my voice. And of course, he knows ours. His ears are attuned to the prayers of the righteous. So if you're not a child of God, you don't have the power of prayer. That's not Ray, that's Paul, and he's going he's to keep teaching it here if we keep reading. Another thing we know is that it is essential for our glory. Uh, not that we want it, not that we expect it, but we know that God has promised to glorify us to a new position in heaven. Uh, we obviously are given a robe, crown, we go through all that list. That's not why I want to go. I mean, it's great to have a mansion. It's great that when I grew up, I was very poor. I was glad to just have a bedroom. When I get to heaven, hey, I'll, I'll pull up a couch. I don't care. Give me a pallet. Give me an air mattress. I just want to get there. Our goal to get to heaven should be to see Jesus and to be in the presence of God. All those other benefits we sing about and talk about, they may give us a little bit of false security because I just want to get to heaven to be with the Lord. Everything else is just added bonus. It's like going to somebody's house for dinner and finding out they, kicked, they, they cooked you something really nice for dessert. You say, oh, that was great, but banana pudding, are you kidding me? 
That's great. So all those added bonuses in heaven are simply just additional things. And he's going to glorify us. We are, quote, he says, heirs of God. Look here again in verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. First fruits of the resurrection. What does that mean? That means the Spirit raised him first, and he, because of that promise, is also going to raise you. Not just in baptism, when you experience the first resurrection, but on that final day, if Jesus comes back and we're caught up to the air, as we're taught in 1 Thessalonians 5, or if we die in Christ, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep. You're going to get your eternal reward. And thank God that as a child of God, if they put me in that ground, I'm not staying there. I will raise one day, and the glory of the resurrection, the glory of living a life in Christ and being rewarded for it, is because you are an heir. It's not that you've done it to earn it, but He is pleased with you. And He says, well done, good and faithful servant. See, use your talents wisely. Use your talents wisely. Notice also here, beginning at verse 18, there's the first fruits thought. Jesus is the first to raise up. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Man, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself is also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Read with me one, a couple more. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with this birth pain together until now. Now, not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. He says, you're going to raise up and you're given a completely new hope. We'll get there in a second. But he says, this is, this is the suffering at the present time. He's writing to a church in Rome suffering at the hands of some vile people. And he's telling them, hang in there. Don't you find it fascinating that Paul, who in just a short time after writing these words, would be falsely accused and imprisoned, would be beaten, and would be beheaded by the Roman government, oppressive government. He says in chapter 13, you better respect your government. I don't respect that guy that's in the White House. I'll tell you what. I don't respect my Congress. I don't respect the governor of this state. I don't respect, watch it now. If you're a child of God and you're representing Jesus in the world, you're an ambassador of Christ, you pray for your leaders and you respect them. I don't like what they do, but as a majority of the 50 states and a few little provinces, that's what we've got and that's what we've got to deal with. So from time to time, whether it's this four years or the next four years or the next four years, it's going to be similar because there's always going to be people unhappy. But he says, you've got to learn to respect those in authority. And so you're setting an example. And in that, again, in this present time of suffering, Paul is suffering. And he says, I still have respect for the government. Paul, they're going to kill you. Respect them. They're going to, you, know how many, you know how many Christians were killed in the first and second century? Roman, Roman uh, uh, Caesar says, you know what? <laughs> I'd like to have some lights in my garden. Why don't we tar some Christians and spike them, and down through there, instead of having street lights, we'll light them up. And he lights them up, all those Christians along that Roman road to his home, and he says, look, the light of the world. What do I do for that? Tyrannical government. Overthrow them. What does Paul say? 
respect them, submit to them. It sets us apart from the rest of the world. Notice also verse uh, 24 and 25. This hope that is in you. He says, we, the whole creation is groaning. We're all waiting for Jesus to come again. We, I'll tell you, I pray for it a lot, especially these days. I pray for it. Oh, I pray for it. I pray, Jesus, please come back. Revelation. John did it a few times before he concluded. Oh, Lord Jesus, please, please, Lord, come back. I worry about my kids. I worry about my children. Five boys. We have five boys. The youngest is 15. The oldest is 22. I don't know what kind of a, a government they're going to have. I don't know what kind of country that they're going to have. I worry about it. I want Jesus to come again. And that hope is only given the second resurrection, the, uh, the hope of eternal life, to those that are in Christ. Now, verses 26 and 27. The Holy Spirit helps you in prayer. That's why he's awesome. You need the Spirit of God inside of you to help you pray. Listen to 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we pray for as we ought, but the Spirit, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now He who searches, that's the Spirit, He who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Because He, that is the Holy Spirit, makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit makes intercession when we pray. It's a promise that our prayers will be effectual, fervent prayers. James 5, 16 and 17. How do we know our prayers are heard? Well, we're in Christ. We're praying in the Spirit. And that doesn't mean some babble nonsense. It means just simply pouring out my heart to God, letting my mind guard, uh, be guarded and, and allowing my thoughts to rise before God as they should. And there are times if you haven't had them, and I pray that you don't, but there will be times in your life where you are so broken you can't speak a word. It's called to the side of a meeting, a meeting of prayer after we had a, a, a man at our church camp that had been pronounced dead on the scene at the cabin in our, our Bible camp. And this happened to me twice. It happened to me on the side of a car accident as well. And they find out that you're the preacher. You know, they say, would you please pray? I, I, don't, I, don't, I, could, I don't know what to say. I'm so overwhelmed. You know, we're in tears. And uh, when, when Kevin had his heart attack at Bible camp, we, he left. We thought he was dead. The, the first responders declared him dead. And I'm thinking, man, this is a terrible thing. I don't know what to pray. And so when I was on the side of the road with a lady from church, my first, as soon as, and this is a humiliating thing, and I'll say it, I'll tell you, is I knelt down beside her, and the paramedics were like, doesn't look good, you need to say a prayer. And I said, Lord, God, we thank you for this day. Oh, my goodness. Why did I say that? Because I usually start my prayers like that. Thank you for the day. Thank you for the blessings. And I felt like such a goon on the side of the road saying, Lord, and the paramedics over there, you know, and he goes, hmm? you know, what? Thank you for this day. Okay, back to it. And luckily she survived, but I, I didn't know what to say. And I've had people call me. You know, my wife just left. My kid just took his life. Are you eloquent in prayer in that moment? No. I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to say. But that's okay. Because even Nehemiah and Daniel and many characters in the Bible prayed what we call breath prayers when all you can say is, Lord, help me. God, give me strength. The Spirit takes that prayer and makes intercession. I, I got about, what, 15 minutes here, 12 minutes? You going to wave at me? All right. <laughs> Let me give you this illustration my grandpa gave me real quickly. 
Prayer is like a throne room. The Father is the judge, stands up here with his gavel in his hand. Decisions to be made every single day. On my side in court, I have two individuals. I have my attorney, which is Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5, there is one mediator between God and man, that man, Jesus Christ. He's my mediator. He's my attorney. Well, I'm in a foreign court, church. I'm in a foreign If I'm in, in Mexico or if I'm in you know, Guatemala or Russia in a courtroom, I need what? I need a translator. I need a translator. What does it say here? The Holy Spirit is your translator. So as you don't know what to say and you're praying, God, help me, God, help me, the intercessor, the Holy Spirit, gives it to Jesus, who is our attorney. Our attorney then takes it to the Father, who determines the final judgment on the matter. But here's the coolest part of all. On the day of judgment, the Father will relinquish that gavel to our attorney, the mediator Jesus Christ, the one who's been advocating me from the day I chose him as my Savior, the moment I left behind my old life and was immersed in Jesus, and now being with him in heaven, he's now at the throne. He's the judge. How great is that, that you and I have, have the opportunity to stand now before Jesus, who knows us better than we could ever imagine, and has recognized that he gave us his spirit to live inside of us to help keep us on track. So God's spirit, the spirit of God, helps us in prayer. Boy, we could, really, there's a lot here. The Holy Spirit is awesome because he gives us assurance. Beginning of verse, uh, let me see, let's back up just a little bit. Did I do the one on purpose? Yeah, this is it, purpose. Okay, verses 28 through 30. These are some of the really most exciting passages. It says here, And we know that all feeling or all, the, all things work together for good to those who love God are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son of God, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. Without being a child of God, without having the Spirit of God, there is no purpose. There's no purpose to living. Why are friends who declare themselves as atheists or agnostic are so unhappy, so unhappy with the world? It's because they don't have the Spirit of God to see that there is hope beyond this life. And so he says very clearly there is a hope and there is a purpose, and then keep reading with me. Move through these. The Holy Spirit gives us the assurance we need. The assurance. Let's start at verse 31. What should we say to these things? If you've got a highlighter, this is the text. This is it. What should we say to all these things? Paul, what do we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? He didn't spare His own Son, but delivered Him up to us all. Now shall He, not with Him... Also freely give us all things. That's the Spirit, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How could we not be relieved of these things? Who should bring a charge against God's elect? Is it God who justifies? Who is He who condemns? Is it Christ who died? And furthermore, it is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God? And who makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? The idea is the assurance that we have is from the Lord. Because I'll tell you what, you can go back to your Old Testament and you can study it. You can come back to your New Testament and study it. God has never, church, never made a promise He didn't keep. And if He promises to raise you up on the last day, that's an assurance you can count on. 
He will always do what he promised. That's why he put the rainbow in the cloud. Don't let people steal it from us. Don't let, that's not going to happen. That rainbow is placed there as a promise of the covenant, a covenant that he's never going to flood the earth completely again. The next time, Peter says, it'll be with what? Fire. And so God has promised to his people, I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you an eternal reward. And Paul reaffirms this. God is for us. Quit thinking God's against you. God is, church, God is not up there on a cloud with a gavel in his hand and a lightning bolt on the other waiting for you to mess up so he can zap you in the rear end. That's not true. Now that's Zeus, if you're reading Roman history and Greek mythology, but that is not our God. Our God is a gracious and a loving God that sent his one and only son that if you just believe in him, just repent and just be baptized into Christ for mission of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, he's not going to condemn you, verse 1. God loves you. He's protecting you. He's wanting to share all the blessings of the world with you. The problem is not what God is willing to do. It's what I'm willing to do for him. God is for you. He's not against you. Look at the mirror in the morning when you get up before you face your day. God is for me. God loves me just the way I am. God knows how I feel. God knows my actions. He knows my ways. There's no secrets with God. God is for me. And if he's for me, there ain't nothing in this world stand against me. I've got a neighbor that's running their mouth. I've got a family member that's doing this. I've got problems here and problems there. There ain't nothing in the world that can stand between you and eternal life because Christ Jesus has already paved the way. And the Spirit is the assurance. I gain strength because I know God is with me. One more. Look here again at verses 37 through 39. We'll wrap up. Let me go back to verse 36. It's written, For your sake we're killed all day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. Anything else you want to imagine, drop it in there. Dragons and fairies, I don't care. There ain't nothing that's created or anything that's invented that can stand between you and God. Nothing, not one thing, no Thing shall separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen? Man, that is a powerful chapter that we did here in about 55 minutes. It's a great chapter. It's not in the presentation, it's in the reading of it. That God is giving us this full-blown assurance. God will freely give you all things. There's no charge against you that's been sustained. Satan is the accuser. He can go before the throne just like he did with Job. God, I got this on him. God, I got that on him. The accuser will stand silent in our presence because Jesus will shut him up. The blood of Jesus covers you. The Spirit of God indwells you. And the Father has given you the spirit of adoption to prove your eternal life as a seal, as a signet ring would seal the document. The Spirit seals us for all eternity. Now, I don't claim to know everything there is to know about the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you tonight that I'm an absolute expert, but I can read. Thank God I can read. And I read this, I read other texts of Scripture that remind me of what God is trying to do. The only thing that gets in my way is myself. And I have to make a choice every single day. We become a New Testament Christian, and that's great. I'll remind you. You confess your sins. Confess that Jesus is the Son of God. You repent. That means you don't do the same things. You change. You walk now in the Spirit not in the flesh. Then you're, as you're baptized into Christ, you walk this new life and you live faithfully. 
Sometimes, if you're not a Christian, first of all, you need to be immersed in the blood of Jesus as fast as you can. Don't wait, run. And be baptized for the mission of your sins. But if you're a Christian, as most of us probably are, we stumble along the way. We make a mistake. We fall down. God is there to pick us right back up. Poor Peter, bless him. He liked to walk on water, didn't he? He stepped out. What did he do? He took his eyes on the wind and the waves, and he sunk. And Jesus was right there with an outstretched hand. It's the same thing God will do for you tonight. If you need prayer, if you need encouragement, and don't be afraid to be real with the church. Don't be afraid to share that you're struggling, that you need prayer, that you're sinful. We're all sinful and we make mistakes, but let people know. Let your elders know. Let your minister know. Let your brothers and sisters know. I'm struggling. I need prayer. Because powerful things happen when the church prays. Thank you for tuning in to the Ray Reynolds Wrap Podcast, and specifically this study of New Testament books. If you have a specific Bible question that relates to the material we just covered, please feel free to email me that at rayreynoldswrap at gmail.com. We want to encourage you to tune into every broadcast, follow us on social media, and get regular updates on the content. Follow, subscribe, share, and set your notifications so you don't miss any broadcasts or blogs that are posted. Check out the website for free books and Bible study materials at rayreynoldswrap.com. Hope you have a wonderful day, and may the Lord bless you as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.